Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah and my favorite setting is the castle in Howl's Moving Castle because it is so weird. Love it. Book version or movie version? Oh, book version. The movie version is a little too weird for me. Just a little too weird. I'm reading that book to my kids right now and it's very dirty. There are lots of spiders. That is not what I thought you meant. I was wondering what I had missed this whole time. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, I just remember whales and, and soccer. <laughs> I'm Kristen and my favorite setting. I really like late Victorian London for books and movies. I just think there's something really compelling about maybe not the way that it was, but the way that we tell stories set in that time frame. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm Caitlin, and my favorite setting, oh, I don't have a favorite setting. I like settings that surprise me. So I guess anything that's, like, magical and really in-depth. So this is the cop-out answer. I'm <laughs> saying I love everything. Um, <laughs> lately, I've been really into, like, space settings where it really gets into, like, how people survive out, out there. It makes me wonder why people are trying to go to Mars when they could be trying to learn how to survive on, like, Antarctica. <laughs> but, you know. Fair point. Fair point. Hi, I'm Lisa, and um, favorite setting. This is so hard because I don't know. I think probably Scotland. Ooh, I like but it. N I don't write about that, so but I have a ton of books that take place there that I like, so we'll go with that. Very cool. My little sister lives there. Oh, well, which part? She lives in Glasgow. Oh, cool. I want to go someday. Me too. I well, apparently we have a vacation connection, so come on, let's use this. <laughs> Oh, buy flat. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. A big welcome to Lisa Maxwell, the New York Times bestselling author of Unhooked, The Last Magician, The Devil's Thief, and soon to be released, The Serpent's Curse. Tell us about your books, Lisa. Hi. So The Last Magician series, it's a time travel fantasy about, it's about a time traveling thief who has to go back to old New York to try to stop a magician from destroying a book that could save magic. And so the whole series is kind of based off of her attempts to save magic. New York City is stuck behind this magical barrier called the brink. And so immigrants come in with magic, but they can't leave without getting zapped by it. Um, and it's controlled by this evil organization called the Order, which who's into not natural magic, but like alchemy and stuff. So there's this whole battle between the two. Um, and there's a lot of angry kissing in it, which makes me happy. Um, and then <laughs> so we're here for <laughs> it, it's really kind of fun. And then Unhooked is retelling of Peter Pan, kind of a dark and twisty retelling with the sexy pirate boy. Also the best kind. <laughs> I know, right? There's there's guy liner and a magical mechanical hand involved. So whoa, <laughs> yeah, very fun. Listeners, be sure to check those out. Super exciting. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about setting, but specifically digging into um, setting as character. So what does it mean to have your setting as a character? What do we mean by that? When I sit down to do any book, it has to, setting has to be first. And I really think of it kind of as a character. It's not just like a backdrop or something, but it's the anchor for like everything. So characters are who they are because of where they're from, because of where they're set. Um, even everything about the descriptions and the plot that can happen or can't happen, it's because of the limitations of that setting. Um, and I tend to be a very atmospheric writer. I like a lot of description. So I want 
the reader to feel like they're in the setting and that the setting is so much a part of the book that they couldn't imagine the book without it. So I think that's really what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I agree. I love books that really just like dunk you head first into the setting where the setting really informs everything that's happening. I tend to write backwards. And so I'll write the characters and then the setting comes later sometimes and then I have to rewrite the entire book so that the setting uh like informs everything the way that you're saying I some of my favorites that come to mind are Howl's Moving Castle and um the Grishaverse uh, all of the different Reckoners books by Brandon Sanderson I love how the setting um is very unique and also has a lot of an impact on the characters and what they do and how they speak to each other and how uh they see the world and their problems as a result that's a key thing, the impact it has on the story. Um, Lisa, like you said, you couldn't imagine the book without it, um, but it, it can't be re- replaced by something else. It's not just a, a filler. It's something that affects the plot, is a part of the plot, um, and characters are interacting with it on a constant basis. It's just it's there with the, the living, breathing human beings. I guess when I saw this, my brain went straight to horror because I think in horror, oftentimes um, you're setting really does take on especially like I'm thinking the haunting of hill house where your setting is actually sort of like a sentient being um mm-hmm. and I I just I think there's something that horror writers do really well about that sort of like all-encompassing inevitability of things happening because the environment is making them happen that I, I think can transfer really beautifully to non-horror books as well so like the Starless Sea or Piranesi both sort of do the same thing where the Starless Sea, your setting is literally aware of you, but Piranesi isn't qu- quite the same way, but it, it mm-hmm. does manage to sort of take on a personality in a way that is really compelling to read. And so I think if you, if you can give your setting a personality, you're, you're, um, wow, that sentence got away from me. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it makes but, total sense, though. Yeah, I, I guess I think that you're going to have a really interesting um, book when your setting acts on your characters and your characters are acting on it in exchange and you've got this sort of push and pull between the people and the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably a really good way to learn how to do it like to read books that do it really well but also I think horror does a really good job of it because a lot of times with horror you need the atmospheric language in order to tell the reader this is a horror book so they're not surprised later when later when people start dying like because that's the worst realization to have happen you're like oh no this is a horror book okay I've unfortunately made that one a couple of times where but uh in horror traditionally and this isn't true all the time the language very very specifically points to that and a lot of times it comes from the setting and the way characters describe the setting like one of my favorite examples this is isn't horror actually but um if you've ever read shannon hale's austin land and then read the second one which is midnight in austin land or something like that the first one is a romance and the second one is a murder mystery and she uses the language to tell you that from the very beginning that it's not the same kind of book and um i think horror does such a good job of having uh the the, the setting be a character because it has to do that otherwise people are unhappy when the the ending is less happy than they want it to be so what would we say in that situation is the difference between an aesthetic and the setting? Because those can get those lines can get kind of blurry sometimes. Okay, so the way that I think of the difference between aesthetic and setting is the setting is like the where, right? But the aesthetic is is 
the all-encompassing feel of the book. I mean, so for The Last Magician, I knew I was going to, by the t- when I finally figured out where and when it was set, because that was not initially where and when this was set. I originally conceived of this as thief who could see in bullet time in DC riding motorcycles. Ooh. And it just like never worked. It never, it never stuck with a character. And then I had to kind of rethink everything as I developed the world bigger. But once I realized it was going to be in old New York and it was going to be this historical I kept describing it to my agent as like, yeah, so it's like historical and it's going to definitely be a historical fantasy, but I want it to feel like a gritty grunge song. Like I want it to feel like the Black Keys Gold on the Ceiling. And so I didn't want the kind of flowery, because I mean, really, it's the same time period as like Edith Wharton, right? And it's not like that. The language isn't like that. The character isn't like that. Even the descriptions of the dresses, and it's not like that. It has a different feel. So when I think of aesthetic... I don't know. I think it's the overall feel of the book and how you're really focusing the setting and your descriptions of the setting through that. I'm not sure if that really is a distinction. It is for me in my head. Well, I mean, so then aesthetic is key to making your setting a character. Right. Yeah, because like old New York could be frilly and fluffy and whatever, or it could be this other kind of like approach to it. Knife fights. Right. Pretending to... To be a dancer. But even even so, like, I mean, you think of, like, a movie like Gangs of New York versus, I don't know, some of the other period pieces. You you really can get a different feel from the exact same setting. It's kind of like the music of the book, right? I like that. Music of the book. We've kind of already been brushing on this in our conversation so far, but how does the setting influence the story you can tell within it? So the way that the setting influences the story, I mean, it places limitations on the story, right? It also places possibility on the story. Uh, If you're writing fantasy, how you're going to develop the setting, really, it's going to be what determines your magic, right? It's going to be determining what kind of creatures you see or what kind of adventures they can go on. For my books, even nailing down the year was so hard and so important because you, like, turn of the century New York between... 1895 and 1905, like every year the city is a completely different city in some ways. Huge changes in infrastructure and just how things work. And you can't get it wrong, right? So one year, you know, one year there's there's streetcars in some place. Another year there's no bridge. Another year there's a subway. So it really changes what your characters can do and can't do. So in historical, especially, is that a jumping off point or is that a restriction for you where you're like, oh, the bridge is gone. So like, why did the bridge go? Or how does both. that? Both. Okay. So I knew I needed the bridge. So that was like a starting place is I wanted the Brooklyn Bridge. And I, it was really important for me to pick a moment between the past and the future. So when modernity is just really starting to develop in New York City and it's starting to become the kind of modern city that we know, but it isn't yet. It's kind of in that in-between place because everything about the book is like being in that in-between place, in between good and evil, in between what you should do and what you shouldn't do, in between love and hate, all that stuff, right? So yeah, so it it does create limits. There's things I couldn't do because like there's no subway, right? Mm -hmm. So that's gonna that's gonna stop things. There's buildings where there shouldn't be buildings, or there's not buildings there, right? There's no Grand Central Station yet, or so you really had to But it also, like, to some extent, it doesn't matter. I remember there was one point I was trying to figure out the layout of the Met Museum in 1902. 
and trying to figure out like where the statuary hall would be. And I, like three hours into this research and I could not figure out like what the floor, because the Met has changed. It's been added onto so many times. And, and I just realized like, what are you doing? Like, if you can't find this, nobody is going to know if you're wrong. Like you are wasting, you just Good wasted point. three hours trying oh, to find man. a historical floor plan that does not exist. So... That's awesome. That sounds really like I love that it has become a theme, like that the setting informs the theme of like your character arcs and like the 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 way the story feels too. That's really cool. Well, definitely from a reader perspective, I like to um to have a good grasp on the setting. I mean, Caitlin, like you said, it's so unpleasant to find out midway through that you're reading a horror story. So unpleasant. Um, so it, I, you know, it's important that your setting make those promises and and stick with them. I, I just finished. I'm trying so, to. I was oh, gonna ahead. say I'm trying to wrap my mind around the amount of research you had to do, Lisa. I know. I love it. So I have like a whole shelf. It's like I'm. I'm such a research nerd. That's what I'm trying to do is research. You know. So, so yeah, this is sort of off topic, but like, what's your ratio of research time to writing time, or at least in terms of, oh, of gosh, that book? No At idea. least three hours of it was was dedicated to a museum. <laughs> yeah, well, three hours is a museum. I don't know. Like, I read hundreds of things. I mean, like, I read books and articles and maps and accounts. and Because I needed, like, you can't really get New York in 1902 unless you immerse yourself in all sorts of different things. And I feel like, you know, when you're doing a setting, like, even for fantasy. So when I was doing Unhooked and I was doing the Neverland books, like, it was really important to go back to the source text for me and then figure out what my Neverland looks like up, down, and backwards, even though you only see, like, a bit of it, because then I could kind of work from that map in my head. You know, that totally happened to me on my last, on this, my next book that's coming out. I had this, like, kind of bland, it's a city and it's fantasy. And, and Sarah, we have the same editor, she was like, Caitlin, tell me more about this place. I can't see it. And then that's when it turned into like this, like Venice, lots of islands, people get together through boats, like it changed entirely. And it changed the story entirely, too, yeah. because I had to actually that's think awesome. about it instead of it being like the white box that I put all the characters in and they're talking to each other in the blank white box. So for both of you then, so if you've done all this research and kind of thought through a place and um, clearly you do the whole iceberg and just the tip gets shown to the readers. Um, but how can you work in all that characterization you've done for the setting without it uh, taking up too much space on the page or um, drawing too much attention to itself? I mean, I think for me, it really has to do with why I'm using it and what the characters need from it and what the characters would notice, right? So I have like the iceberg, right? Like I have all this stuff underneath that I'm aware of things that, and there will always be things that I'm like, no, that is going in the book. Like in book two, when I found out that there was like a butter sculpture of Teddy Roosevelt, like that is going in the book. Like I'm going to yes, find a way to wedge that in the book, right? <laughs> Even though it has nothing to do with the plot, just because how can I not, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's moments like that, right? Where those little research things are like, no, 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 this tidbit. But like for the third book, I just had this idea that I really wanted to put like a stupid McTeague reference in San Francisco with like a golden tooth. I don't know if you know anything about like 19th century American literature, but it's a ridiculous book, McTeague. It's like he's a dentist and then he becomes rich and then he like kills his wife over the money and he ends like in the desert hooked to his 
And I mean, it's ridiculous. He has a golden <gasps> tooth. And I was going to put that in and I couldn't do it because it, it didn't go with anything like at all. Right. So thinking about like what I put in and what I don't put in really has to do with what the characters need and what the characters notice about the setting and take from the setting and how they interact with the setting is what I use because it's really, it has to be for plot and character development. It has to either pose a conflict, help them unravel a conflict, stuff like that. I like that. So very purpose focused. Yeah. Cause I mean, I have like notebooks of stuff that nobody needs to know about. <laughs> it's for it makes you feel good. books that you're going to write. There can be like a, <laughs> exactly. a happy romance and then there can be a, a something else that you can use all of your research tidbits for. I guess. I doubt it. Man, I need I need a different setting beside New York after this one. Well, you've been working on this one for a couple of years now. Like a like four or five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need to. Came out. Yeah. You need like a complete annotated version of your book yeah. with all the stuff that you couldn't put in. I know. That'd be fun. Or people would be like, why? Why? What have you, what have you done? And are you okay? And, and they inch well, back slowly. We're almost out of time for this portion of the podcast, but I know we still have a couple more thoughts to go through. Does anyone have any any last things they'd like to share? Okay, awesome. We'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of the podcast then where we critique an audience submission. Uh, we like to keep these um, critiques non-prescriptive. We try to most days anyway, but if you'd like <laughs> to check out the text of the submission for yourself and see all of our notes, you can view that on litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can also find our submission guidelines there. So a summary of this week's chapter. Evelyn, a young woman with no memory of her past, returns home to find her house on fire with her sister on inside. What are some things we liked about this chapter? I can start. I thought that the opening few lines uh, were pretty voicey. Like she wakes up to this rooster and she says, the only rooster she owned had a shrill call that made you want to find the infernal bird and cook it for breakfast. And I thought that was a really nice um, look at her personality. I agree. I really enjoyed the fairy tale with amnesia pairing. I feel like amnesia that up front in a story usually comes from sci-fi or um, dystopian or something. So it's been a while since I've seen it in fantasy. I was pretty excited about that. I really thought there was a good sense of a bigger story in these first pages. I mean, it's really clear that this writer has done a lot of work to sketch out backstory, to to start drawing the world um, in really clear, detailed ways that I think will really benefit whatever revisions this person does. Mm -hmm. I can definitely feel the the character becoming a setting, or the setting becoming a character. Sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the setting that becoming like? a character. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they, that's like another. That's a whole other genre, right? Where the character, the setting. Anyway, that's like the horror <laughs> stuff that Kristen was talking about. I really like um, that Magic School Bus episode where they go inside the body. Oh, you know? Too literal. <laughs> too soon. I, I just wanted to add that I really liked the moment where her sister wakes up and she, instead of talking to her sister, says, I have to leave right now because I feel like that's pointing to conflict, even though we don't know what it is yet, some kind of underlying tension that's going on with her sister, which I thought was a nice moment. I really liked the fact drop we get that the king has been calling away more and more people and sending them to war and they're not coming back. So Evelyn just kind of looks at her village and sees how thin it's become. It's kind of empty. I thought that was a really nice 
add to the ambiance moment. Mm-hmm. What are some things that might need a second look? I can start then. Um, I would say for me, because we get a lot of information in the first few pages about how the character looks, about the the world we're in, and we don't get a lot of action. The beginning feels a little slow to me. Um, it made me wonder if maybe this book might not be starting in the right place. What are your guys' thoughts? I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the things that sort of tripped me up here is that a lot of this a lot of the opening pages are sort of telling like Evelyn will do a line or two of action where she'll wake up and listen to a rooster. And then we've got a couple of paragraphs of her thinking about things rather than doing Mm -hmm. things. I think what I was feeling was a struggle with pacing because it felt like every time we had some forward action, we would pause and move back and take a big picture look at the fact that they had lost their memories or um, the state of the town instead of getting me into some action. No, I definitely agree. Um, I think this writer would really benefit from thinking about like, how can you throw your reader into a moment that they don't necessarily have to understand right away, but that they want to understand. They want to keep reading. So I think by the time we get to the end and the house is on fire, you do get this kind of moment of something is happening um, and getting there faster would be really great. Mm-hmm. I feel like almost like this author was like, I know I can't start with something that's action because nobody will care about the characters yet. So I'm going to give my character a couple of things to do first so we get to know her and then we'll have action. But the thing is, the things that she does in this don't matter. All of them are just kind of her walking through her life. And I don't feel the forward momentum of her like wanting something or needing something Mm -hmm. or even being interested in what she's doing. Like she gets out of bed and she gets some blueberries and then she goes into town and she it's kind of like a normal day for her and nothing happens that she cares about. Mm -hmm. And I can feel it a lot that she doesn't really care. I think that's tied to one of the things that I noticed and this it goes to the kind of um, issue of there's a lot of description in here, mm-hmm. a lot of adjectives on top of adjectives that do paint a very vivid and clear picture, but they don't necessarily paint a picture driven by any sort of emotion or desire. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I would suggest this writer does is figure out who their narrator is. So if you're doing a third person, um, and I'm not sure, is this YA? I missed that. I think it is. Okay, but so YA... You know, it tends to be more first person if you do third person, and I do third person. I feel like you can go one of two ways. You can go super voicey where the narrator becomes kind of this narrative presence that takes over. Or you really have to sink into deep, focalized third person where the narrator is really focusing everything through your main character or through your character's perspectives, which is what I do. Um, So that every description you get... Every, whether it's a description of like the table or her hair or her eyes or buying blueberries, it's all kind of translated through the character's desire, right? And I think if there was a little bit more of that, thinking about like, how would this character tell her own story instead of kind of this over narrator kind of describing what's happening to her, how would that change what we get? Right. Absolutely. I really wondered how she felt about having to to gather her own blueberries and how she felt about the woman who's helped her and her family, but she's awkward about it. Like, I wanted to know what it meant to her to be walking through this town and what it was she would rather be doing or if this is what she loved doing. Like, yeah, 
I wanted that emotion. And I think you can start with action. Oh, but yeah, you absolutely. give like little tiny details that tell you about the character. Like at the beginning of The Last Magician, it starts with like she's about to steal something at a party. Like you have no idea who this character is or what she's doing, but you know she's late because she saved a serving girl from some handsy old man. And then immediately you know something good about her and you're willing to kind of go on her little heist where she's about to rob somebody. And you don't know if she's the good guy or the bad guy, but you know that little tiny piece, but it's all told kind of focused through her perspective. Everything is a reaction that she's doing. And I think that really would kind of bring some of the already really great, clear descriptions to life here in a way that would draw the reader's interest more. Yeah. I think action at the beginning of a book is great if the action is meant to show who your character is. If action is meant to make you care about the plot, it's going to fall flat. But if it's meant to show you like... Mm -hmm who you're dealing with, it's awesome. Because isn't that like where people show their true colors? It's like when they're in a stressful situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think readers can get a pretty good sense of a character from a a few key details as opposed to a lot of unkey details. And so there are a lot of details in here, as we've mentioned, and um, they're definitely things that readers would, would like to know, but we don't necessarily need them all at once. We, we're okay waiting for a lot of these kinds of things. The things we do want to know are what's, what's important for her to her. How does she view the world? Is she a positive person? Is she a pessimistic person? Kind of more deeper character traits are what we're looking for right in the first few pages. And even kind of bouncing off of that, like I think one of the greatest ways that you can build tension and interest in a book is is really thinking about what will my reader's reaction to this piece of information be now versus at a different time. Mm-hmm. So even when we get to the end of that chapter, there's a really great line where it's like, and the house was on fire, man, like, stop, <laughs> make them turn mm-hmm. the page, right? Don't tell them about the fire yet. Make them want to know more about the fire and don't kind of I know I'm being, am I being prescriptive? I don't know how to not be. It's like my, it's like my teacher's eye. I'm sorry. Um, okay. But really thinking about like what information you give and what effect that information has at that moment. I'm repeating myself, but yeah. Which actually I wanted to zero in on that moment a little bit because I feel like it kind of is a really good example of exactly what we've been talking about in this book. Mm-hmm. where something really crazy huge is happening. Her house is on fire and she's like, maybe my sister is still in there. And she spends four paragraphs describing the fire. And she doesn't walk toward it and she doesn't feel the heat of it. And she doesn't like do and Like, I don't necessarily want her to run in because I love that cliffhanger stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. But I feel like her character spends so much time navel gazing, but that by the time we find out her sister's in there, I already knew her sister was in there and I was just waiting for her to do something. <laughs> and we don't feel her panic. Yeah. Like I want to feel her panic. And mm-hmm. and the way you feel the panic is not by saying, oh my gosh, I'm scared, but it's by describe it's in the descriptions you pick then. Yeah. Yeah. That is our time for today. Did anybody have any final thoughts? This was super fun. Thank you. I agree. Thanks to this author, thank me. you so much for um submitting to the show. And yeah, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to hear your thoughts. You have a lot of good insight for our listeners. Our next guest will be Aaron Beattie the author of the Traitor's Circle trilogy, The Traitor's Kiss, The Traitor's Ruin, and The Traitor's Kingdom. If you'd like a critique from Aaron, submit your chapter by April 15th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Blitz Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Blitz Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. 
Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.